Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body. This is Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. And you are listening on the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. And this is our year-end episode, our wrap-up, the best of 2015. So just like I do in the uh, countdown, we're going to count down to the number one show for 2015. Now, you probably want to know, Dr. Daniels, how did you decide which show was the best show? Well, it's the show that was downloaded the most. So that's how we decided which were the top shows. So we're going to recap these shows, uh, what they were about, and uh, the take-home message from each one. So we got a whole hour in our hands, so we're going to take a start with number 14. It's, Is Your Doctor a Certified Killer? Yes, a certified killer. This is, uh, for many people, a novel concept. But when you consider the medical-industrial complex kills 880,000 people in the United States every year, and that these people do not die of their illness, but of their therapy, then certainly it's killing. Now, some people would call it murder because obviously it's intentional because it happens so many times. It can't be, well, accidental. But it's not murder. It's not murder because murder is unauthorized killing. So if a person has special permission from the government to kill, then the killing is just that. It's killing, not murder. And so that was one big uh, take-home message from this episode, Is Your Doctor a Certified Killer? And the answer is, of course, yes. The doctor is certainly a licensed killer. And so that's questions with your certified killer. It turns out that doctors who are certified, doctors who have been certified, and the more highly trained a doctor is, the more lethal and the more deadly the care that the doctor is trained to deliver. And the other take-home message from that episode is that it is the standard of care, not doctors deviating from the standard of care, that indeed causes a death of these 880,000 Americans each year at the hands of the medical industrial complex. So 
Is your doctor certified killer? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, what's your defense? Uh, not very much. <laughs> Turns out the only defense is not to show up, is to say no, to stay home, and to stay away. Uh, the malpractice is not a protection because malpractice um, compels the doctor to follow the standard of care, which is, of course, the source of at least 90% of all the medical-related killings. So with malpractice, the doctor is actually pressured to kill. He's actually pressured to follow the standard of care and to renounce any personal responsibility. Says, oh, I'm just following orders, and if I follow orders, why? I get protected. And so that's uh, not a protection for you. Some people would say, well, but you know, my insurance company, they're looking over the doctor's shoulder. They're reviewing these claims, and they can see a pattern, and they can see which doctors have complications, and they can just tell by the diagnoses. Answer, yes, they can, but they don't care. They want health care costs to be as high as possible because, unbeknownst to you, the patient, many insurance companies actually are claims processors, which means they get paid the amount the doctor receives plus a percentage, yes. And so many insurance companies have really almost no incentives whatever to hold down health care costs. Also, if they were truly successful in holding down health care costs and cutting out the 33% of care, which the industry itself admits is unnecessary, then who would want health insurance, right? Because the amount of money spent in health care would be very low and it would be easily affordable. So... Yes, your doctor is a killer, and yes, he's a certified killer. Next, most popular show, number 13, is The Awakening. I got this name from The Happening, uh, an old uh, hit song back in the uh, 60s or 70s, The Awakening. You would think that if 880,000 people every year are being killed by medicine that somebody somebody would notice and that people would, would start using the health system less because they would notice that Auntie M died after she went to see the hospital or see the doctor and that, uh, you know, Uncle Bud was doing pretty good till he started doctoring or that Grandma and Grandpa were just fine till they started those preventative medicines and then developed Alzheimer's. And so what the awakening is, is the show where I talk about how people really are waking up. And the way we know that people are waking up is in the recession of 2008, people cut back on their health care. They cut back on their insurance. They didn't buy health insurance and they didn't spend money on health care. Healthcare costs for the first time in decades actually fell. And so uh, the Obama administration had to step in and pass the Obamacare Act or the Affordable Health Care Act, which forced people to buy health insurance. And so although we get uh, propaganda about somebody somewhere in government or insurance or somebody out there who's in control and responsible wants to reduce healthcare costs. Uh, it's actually quite the opposite. So the awakening talks about how people actually are waking up. People are walking away from their doctor, walking away from drugs, and in such large numbers that the government has seen fit to coerce, force people to buy health insurance, force people to participate in a deadly system. And of course, what's the answer to the awakening? If you have woken up, the first step is to drop your health insurance. Yep, drop your health insurance. And I'll just say, oh, Dr. Daniel, 
what if I get really sick? Oh my God, what if I get a heart attack? What if I get abdominal pain? Oh no. And the answer is, of course, uh, probably you'll stay home and you'll do just fine. That's one answer. Um, the other answer is probably you'll stay home and you'll be one less person who would have either got tortured, mutilated, or murdered uh, on that particular day. So actually, it would save your life. So one step would be to uh, drop your health insurance. Next step, if that's not an option for you, maybe it's a free benefit. Maybe your your employer has already lowered your salary and he pays for your health insurance without a visible deduction from your salary. If that's the case, then just don't use it. Put your card in your pocket. Uh, don't show it to anybody. Keep it under your hat. Treat it as a confidential need-to-know information. And, of course, nobody needs to know. It reminds me of something that happened the other day. I got a phone call from my mother. So mom wanted some dental work done. And mom's 84, so that means she wanted done just so. And she was calling me because her dentist didn't seem to understand and wouldn't do it the way she wanted to. I said, well, Mom, just tell her that uh, you just pay cash. My mother said, oh, that's not the problem. The problem is what my insurance will pay for. I said, Mom, you have to not use your insurance because your insurance is not going to pay for what you want. So what you've got to do is you got to put that insurance card in your pocket and tell a doctor you'll pay cash and tell them what you want. And if that doctor won't do it, then go to another doctor and this time don't show your insurance card. Because when you show your insurance card, it's like a slave uh, showing a card indicating who his owner is. And then the healthcare professional, whether it's a dentist or a doctor, will then consult their computer bank as to what your owner wants done with your body. And all of a sudden, everything you say falls on deaf ears. So that's the awakening. The awakening is people's awareness. The answer is to drop your insurance or, if that's not a possibility, um, go on a cash-only basis. And if you can't afford it, don't worry. Just skip it. Uh, 98% of what doctors do is not medically beneficial anyway. And that is a conservative estimate. Um, People take cholesterol drugs, about 1 in 1,250 people who take them is believed to benefit each year. So that's less than 1 in 1,000. So literally... uh, if you are not able to afford a medical intervention, chances are less than 1 in 1,000 that it will diminish your health because you did not receive the intervention. All right, so that's the awakening. Next, most important one, is the diet lie. This is a biggie, a big, big biggie. And so in this one, we talked about the raw food diet, the vegetarian diet, the vegan diet, the paleo diet, the Atkins diet, the self-based diet, the macrobiotic diet, and so on. And the big diet lie is that there's one diet that's good for all people for their whole lives. Next big lie, of course, is that there's one diet that's good for one person for their whole life. It's absolutely not true. The diet that a teenager is going to eat is way different from the diet that a 60-year-old might eat or that a pregnant lady might eat. So these are all different uh, life situations and they all require uh, different diets. The other thing that influences the diet that you might require is what you've been eating in a prior month, two months, or three months. In other words, what existing deficiencies or excesses are present at the time that the new diet is being considered. 
So some people need a vegan diet. Some people need a vegetarian diet. Some people need some meat in their diet. Some people need certain types of meat. So, and some people, heaven forbid, need carbs. So, um, this is the lie, diet lie, that keeps people sick and keeps people using one diet after another, after another, after another. The other uh, diet lies we talked about is that diet alone can heal. Diet can certainly contribute tremendously to your healing, but by uh, any measure, diet appears to be at best 30% of the healing solution. There's cleansing. In other words, diet is what you put in. What about what you take out? Big, big difference. And I noticed in my medical practice that my health nuts were incredibly sick. Why? Because they were focused on diet. They weren't um, putting out waste on a regular basis. And so their um, standard American diet eating spouses who had regular bowel movements were actually in better health. And uh, to take a look at that solution, the Vitality Capsules, you can go to vitalitycapsules.com and check it out and get the ones that are right for you, extra strength or regular. So that's one part of diet life. So what you take out of your body is important. Whether or not you repel, remove, or kill parasites is important. And your general state of mind is also important. So if you're filled with anger, frustration, hate, and negativity um, and stress, then even a good diet mm, might not be able to uh, fix that. So there are more diet, there's more than diet that gets you healthy. So the moral to that story, take home message is eat the diet that works best for you is number one. Number two, if you're feeling healthy, then you are healthy. Stick with the diet you're already on and continue to enjoy your good health. Now, the next most popular show is Broken Bones. And the title was, So, You'd See a Doctor If You Broke a Bone. Well, not so fast. Now, this is a very interesting concept because many people say, well, you know, Dr. Danish, talk about natural healing, but what if I broke a bone? Yeah, I want a surgeon to set that bone. Now, in medical school, we have a name for that called pins and plaster. We just go to the, emergency, the operating room, get put under anesthesia, the doctor whips out a metal, metal plate and some nails and literally uh, splints your bone back together internally with uh, rods and screws, and then sews you up. Hmm. So the question, the question, which I asked is, is a bone going to heal better, and is the person going to get better long-term function with surgery than without surgery, right? So if I break my clavicle, that's the, the bone across the front of uh, my shoulder, if I break that, and I have surgery to fix it, am I going to get better function three, five years from now than had I uh, not had surgery? The answer is no. All right? Let's talk about the famous one, the hip fracture. If I get surgery to fix my hip fracture, am I going to have better ability to walk than had I not had it fixed? Answer, long-term, no. Very interesting. I would have thought hip fracture. Surely a hip fracture. But nope, nope, nope. Why is this? Because most people who have hip fractures and get them fixed do not return to full activity that they experienced before the hip fracture. So with the surgery, it actually does not return the person to their pre-sickness condition. So, I researched online using Medscape. This is the medical industrial complexes mouthpiece in their data collection arm. And fracture after fracture, ankle fracture, wrist fracture, 
um, you know, femur fracture, you name it. The surgical repair was not superior to not having surgery. If you don't have a surgery to fix a fracture, well, what do you do? Well, you do what they told to do in medical school back in the dark ages. They said, doctor, someone breaks a bone, splint it where it lies. That means take a stick, wrap the bone around the stick uh, at both ends, and keep the uh, fracture area still for a period of time in the same position uh, that you found it in. Very interesting. So a broken bone, it turns out, is not only not improved by surgery, but therefore then not even a medical emergency. And you can see this because if you go to an emergency room with a broken bone, what happens? They give you a splint, send you home, and tell you to come back on Monday. Most broken bones happen for some reason on Friday or Saturday. And orthopedic surgeons, for some reason, are generally available Monday through Friday morning. So during my years of training in medical school and residency, I saw this again and again and again. Person has a broken bone. The emergency room figures out it's broken. They call a doctor. The doctor says, "Give us splint and tell them to come to the office on Monday." That's not an emergency, now, is it? The poor person could have just stayed home. So, a broken bone, not a reason to endanger your life. Nope, nope, not at all, not at all. Another lie debunked. All right, next, most popular was rethink your possession. Yes, rethink your possession. Unfortunately, in the culture that we are in, the Western society, we are encouraged with propaganda, with commercial, to define ourselves by our possessions. I have this, I have that. And so, in this show, Rethink Your Possession, I actually discuss possessions that if you don't have them will help you be healthier and help you live longer. Interesting. So one big possession, health insurance. Toss it. What's another possession? Believe it or not, life insurance. Why is it? You don't want anyone to benefit by your death. You don't want anyone sitting around waiting for you to die because you're going to get a windfall. So you want to get rid of those possessions like that. Next possession is personal care products. Look at all these commercials, personal care products. They're going to be prettier. They're going to smell better. They'll have a better sex life. All these things with these personal care products, which unfortunately are filled with chemicals. And so these personal care products are filled with chemicals. They douse you with chemicals. They poison you. (coughs) And they make you sick. Possessions that you want to get rid of. Another thing is new clothes. If you look at these uh, commercials and lifestyle, you're supposed to have brand new, spanking new clothes. Well, it turns out that a lot of clothes in the United States are shipped from China, packed in formaldehyde. And it takes anywhere from 10 to 40, yep, 40 washing to get rid of this unhealthy chemical. And so having new clothes may not be the best thing for your health. Personally, I buy my used. It's less stress. I have pretty poor taste. So if I buy used clothes, I know that at least somebody else, one other person on this planet, agrees that this outfit is a good outfit. Um, The only thing is dry cleaning clothes. Remember when I was uh, training, I just finished medical school with my residency, and they're these cardiologists. And they were sharp 
dressers. I mean, they had wool suits and everything was just so impressed. And even their white jackets were dry cleaned. And you could just smell the fresh dry cleaning chemicals. And so I was like, wow, one day I'll be wealthy enough to afford dry cleaned clothes. And so uh, three months later, all of a sudden, they were wearing polyester jackets that you could just toss in the washing machine. And so, of course, I was curious why the big change. And so uh, I, can't, I don't remember how it was communicated to me, but they were having severe financial difficulties because they reconfigured their medical practice and the insurance companies have withheld over $100,000. So now they had to survive on wash and wear suits. But again, rethink your possession. Maybe these dry clean outfits aren't really the best thing for you. You're looking at basically increased frequency of cancer, liver disease. This is even if you don't drink. So um, another set of possessions is plastic. Plastic, plastic, plastic. So all you guys out there who don't want to get a huge dose of estrogen, don't want to grow boobs, don't want prostate cancer, get rid of your plastic. Another set of possessions to just like lose them, get rid of them. Another status symbol in our culture is a beautiful manicured lawn, cared for, of course, by the lawn service. And so, of course, these chemicals dumped on your front lawn uh, affect your health as well. And I found that women with Breast cancer actually have uh, pesticides and herbicides in their tumors. And so definitely get rid of the lawn care service. So there's tons of possessions that you just need to get rid of. And it's very simple to identify them. Uh, They're man-made and they have a long ingredient list. And generally they're brand new. So rethink your possessions and improve your health. Next is China's Great Health. Uh, This episode was inspired by my trip to China, and I noticed they had different ways of doing things. Now, in China, they smoke a lot of cigarettes. You'd expect from their um, high cigarette use that they would have a much shorter life expectancy than Americans, but they don't. It's not that big a difference. It's just, I think, four years difference, but it is shorter. The question is, why do they live so long when, you know, they have such other habits are not that great? And um, the answer is very interesting. They drink warm water. It's their habit. Warm water to improve digestion. Never drink cold water. They um, eat. When you go to the market, for example, you see that you can buy the chickens. They're alive. You actually have to take the chicken. It's alive. Actually, they'll take the chicken, chop the head off for you, put it in a bag, and there you go. Take it home. So they eat very fresh food. And when you go to a restaurant... You actually pick which fish you want, and if you're really good, you'll pick the one that moves quickly and looks pretty healthy. Um, so the food is super, uh, super, super fresh. And even though the um, air quality is not that great, um, the other thing is the family structure. So often what you'll find is kids, mom, dad, and grandparents all live together and look after each other. And that actually creates a lot less uh, a lot less stress. So the family structure, uh, the diet, the lifestyle, also they walk a lot, a lot. Being a tourist in China was a lot of walking. Uh, they have excellent uh, public transportation system, but it's still a tremendous amount of walking, which uh, I found actually pretty good. But... Very, very interesting. So simply the reconfiguration society to incorporate more walking, uh, to have warm water, warm beverages, and uh, a less stressful family structure. Very uh, interesting. Next, antibiotic update. Oh, my gosh. Yes. 
Antibiotic Update. This is uh, the next most popular show. And this was interesting because if you will recall back in 2012, we've been doing radio shows for a few years now. Back in 2012, MRSA, Methicillin Resistant Staph Aureus, killed uh, 49,000 Americans every year. Now, the estimate is down to 23,000. Of course, because, well, two reasons. One, it's believed cases of MRSA have been prevented. Well, that's possible. But two, some people, the cases treated with MRSA went on to develop C. difficile. Because you take the MRSA, you treat with clindamycin, and it gives you C. difficile. You take the C. difficile, treat it with Vancomycin, and you get VRE, another resistant bug. And so collectively, these antibiotic-resistant bugs continue to kill 100,000 Americans a year. It's just that now, uh, through our use of additional antibiotics, we have different names for them, or different types, or different categories. But the death toll remains the same, or even higher, depending on how you count. So the update for antibiotics is that antibiotic resistance is still a problem, that um, other countries have solved their problem or greatly improved it by reducing the antibiotics put in animal feed. turns out 70% of all antibiotics are used in animals. So what happens when you go to the hospital? You have a body filled with antibiotics from the animals you've eaten, which would be the pork, beef, or chicken. And now even fish are getting antibiotics. And you go to the hospital, and what do they feed you? More antibiotic-laced meats. They put you in isolation and feed you meats that are laced with antibiotic and antibiotic-resistant organisms. So how can hand-washing possibly have an impact? Well... Logically, it wouldn't, and guess what? It doesn't. But countries that have restricted the use of antibiotics in animal feed, or more to the point, reduced it, have noticed a corollary reduction in deaths from antibiotic-resistant organisms. And so the awful truth is that hospitals don't cause antibiotic-resistant infections and deaths. What really causes it is the antibiotics in the food supply. Why? Because the amount of antibiotics the hospital gives is just not even 30% of the total amount of antibiotics dispensed. So that's the antibiotic update. The solution, stop eating meat that has antibiotics in it. And so check to make sure the meats that you are eating do not have antibiotics in them. If they have antibiotics, don't eat them. Stop eating them. The other piece of the antibiotic update is that antibiotics actually do kill you. They are anti-life and they kill people. This is for real. And so while we might think we have an error where we've conquered infectious disease because of antibiotics, Quite the contrary, now people are just dying of the antibiotics instead of the infections, and more money is changing hands. So that is the antibiotic update. Now, I just want to take a pause for station identification. Of course, you're listening to the Blake Radio Network, and this is Rainbow Soul. Our guest calling number is 914-338-0695. People have questions. And our chat room is dealingwithdrdaniels.com. Drdaniels.com. Okay, so let's take a look at our next most popular show, The Science of Longevity. Yes, The Science of Longevity. All right, this is interesting. So, throughout the annals of time and humans on the earth, everybody wants to know, how do I live longer? How do I live longer? 
You would think that some smart aleck would get together a bunch of 90-year-olds and figure out what they've got in common. You would think, but no. Oh, no, 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 not at all. Oh, we've done if we started studying telomeres and we started uh, studying all kinds of arcane things. So telomeres, how many hours of sleep at night, how many friends you have or how many friends you think you have. And all of these things uh, really don't address of the issue, which is longevity. So actually, there's not a science of longevity. Um, what there is is a lot of speculation. And many people who have claimed to understand longevity have died at alarmingly young ages. When I say young age, I mean less than the life expectancy of the masses, let's say. So if we take the average life expectancy in the United States, Many people who advocate knowledge or understanding of longevity actually die earlier than their less informed followers. So what do we know about uh, longevity? Well, nice thing to do is uh, look at people who live longer, like into their 90s. So there's Linus Pauling, who recommends high-dose vitamin C. Uh, you know, hey, work for him. Hey, a teaspoon or two a day of vitamin C. Sounds good to me. Definitely proofs in the pudding. Um, what about Gerson? Uh, Gerson's daughter. She's in her 90s, and she drinks her carrot juice. There you go. What about Jack Belaine? Now, Jack Belaine did exercise, but Jack Belaine was very clear. You had to supplement. And so people who exercise without supplementing, in other words, without giving your body the nutrition it needs to exercise, actually die sooner. But people who exercise and supplement do pretty darn well. So that is the science of longevity. Look at people who live in their 90s, and that's what you go by. So uh, some ambitious 40-something, 50, 60-something, really don't know. You have to look at people who are in their 90s. And that's really how I discovered turpentine. I was looking for something that would help restore sick people to their pre-sick condition. And what I found was when I started asking people in my practice if they knew of something that cured everything and was used by their grandparents, let's say. Because obviously I wanted something that was used by people who were older, right? People who had succeeded with it. And I got stories of people who lived into their 90s, not their 80s, not their 70s, not their 60s, but their 90s. And so that is the test of longevity. Um, Doctors, just for your information, have an average life expectancy of 58. Yes, 58 years. Not very long, not a good place to get your information on longevity. Yep, don't think so. So, science of longevity, moral of the story is, look at stuff that works for people who are living into their 90s, uh, and don't be dazzled by this stuff that's newly invented or has a patent. Okay, so we have the counterfeit health system. Yes, counterfeit. Now, you have to get a grip on what counterfeit means. Counterfeit is something fake appearing to be real. And so then what we have is a medical industrial complex that pretends to hand out health, but it's not really health, so that's why it's fake, in exchange for very real dollars. And so because the health system is fake, because it's counterfeit, because the dollars you're paying are real and the service you're getting is fake, then it will always leave you worse off. It will always leave you financially damaged and with less health. And so in the counterfeit health system, we go over things like the cholesterol situation where you have to treat 1,250 people in order for one person to benefit. 
that's an effectiveness rate of less than one in one thousand. So then there's the hypertension where you have to treat ninety nine people for a year before one person benefits. Can you imagine if you went to the grocery store and you had to check out and pay for an item ninety nine times before you were allowed to leave the store with that item? Yeah. That would leave you pretty hungry, right? Can you imagine if you had to pay for a tank of gas 99 times before you were allowed to receive the tank of gas? Yes, that's what you're getting when you take blood pressure medicine. And this is what you're getting when you interact with the healthcare system. So because what they are providing has an effectiveness rate of less than 1% on average, then you're always going to lose. You can't interact with the health system and win because 99% of it is simply useless. So they have this thing, N as in Nancy, N as in Nancy, T as in tweet. So N-N-T is numbers needed to treat in order for one person to get better. So if you have an N-N-T on average, of a hundred or even more, then you have a situation where basically a person has to spend a hundred dollars to get a dollar's worth of benefit. Or like women with pap smears, you have to get 33,000 pap smears before you get benefit from a pap smear in terms of preventing a cervical cancer death. And so if you have to pay for something 33,000 times before you get the desired benefit, then that puts you in a position of always being destitute and getting zero benefit. And so what you're engaging in then is merely a ritual. And so the counterfeit health system, take-home messages, it's one big ritual. And your decision is not, do you want to be healthy, but do you want to engage in this very expensive, deadly ritual that leads to the death of 880,000 Americans every year? Because, of course, there's no evidence it leads to health. Then, number four, we have hoisted on their own petard. This is a sad story, a sad one. So, hoisted on their own petard, uh, I reviewed the philosophies of famous natural healers who died young. Now, when I say died young, I mean they died before um, the average individual of their gender here in the United States would have died. That's what I mean. So uh, one notable would be uh, Evelina Cushy, the uh, co-founder of the macrobiotic diet. Yes. So Evelyn Nakushi died of cervical cancer. Why would Evelyn Nakushi die of cervical cancer? Well, to find this out, all you have to do is look up cervical cancer and diet and find that people who eat tomatoes have a greatly reduced chance of dying of cervical cancer and that abnormal precancerous pap smears can be reversed by eating tomatoes. What's that got to do with Evelyn Nakushi? Well, the macrobiotic diet expressly prohibits tomatoes. Interesting. And so I go over the different uh, natural healing gurus and who died in untimely death, review their philosophy, and determine what it was about their philosophy that led to their premature death. And so that's hoisted on their own petard. That's number four, and the third most popular story of 2015 is probiotics, probiotics. Now, I know everyone expected me to do a talk about this brand of probiotic and that brand of probiotic and which one is better, and, of course, to recommend something maybe I earn a commission on, but that's not what I did. So, probiotics, I talked about the microbiome, 
how it actually consisted of a population of thousands of different living organisms inside your body that collectively together create your good health and your life. And what you need when you've been harmed by antibiotics is probiotics that contain the broadest possible spectrum of living organisms. There are many different types of probiotics. So I'll go from the weakest, but still effective, to the most powerful. So the weakest would be something like a commercial preparation or capsule that you purchase. Pretty much, in my opinion, a waste of money. Why? Because even the good ones have between 5 and 15 strains of organisms. So what's the next best thing? Would be sauerkraut juice. This is a naturally fermented product and has a broad range of organisms. Mostly lactobacillus, but a broad range of other organisms as well. That's sauerkraut juice. You can make yours at home. Why is that a good thing? Because then it is made up of the good bacteria right from the air in your house where you live. So it's going to be the most healing. You can buy it from the health food store pre-made, of course, but it's best to uh, just make your own. And if you go to vitalitycapsules.com forward slash products, you'll see my cookbook's healing recipes. And in cookbook number four is the recipe for sauerkraut juice, and you can make your own. Next most powerful probiotic is something along the lines of uh, kefir. Now, kefir it can be made with dairy milk or it can be made with goat milk. Um, if you're at all dairy sensitive, definitely use goat milk. However, if you use high doses of goat milk, you can still get um, congestion and phlegm that you might get with regular cow's milk. So, uh, goat milk is less irritating. But this is an excellent uh, replenishment of probiotics. So that's kefir. Even more complex than that is the ultimate, that's a fecal transplant. In other words, borrowing, uh, not to be returned, of course, someone else's feces and implanting that into your own body. That's the ultimate probiotic. Usually you only need to do that once or twice and then you change your diet and the good guys that are in there, you feed them, they multiply, they have babies and things go well. So that's the probiotic story. The second most downloaded and listened to program is Monsanto. Why Monsanto is not corrupt. I'm telling you, people unsubscribe from my list over this one. What a firestorm. Oh my God. So, why is it that Monsanto is not corrupt? Corrupt means that something is weakened and that something is operating in a manner that is not consistent with its purpose. This is totally not true of Monsanto. Monsanto is there to destroy the health of human beings, to weaken human beings so that they can be more easily managed and victimized by their rulers or governing class. And so Monsanto has never, ever deviated from that purpose. They have had the highest of integrity and focus and are working very hard to achieve that. And this is why people need to understand that Monsanto is in no way corrupt. They're not at all weak. They're not feeble. They're not in any way confused. They're working very hard to creating a more debilitated youth. And if you're going to in any way be effective in avoiding this carnage or damage, then you've got to be equally focused, equally coherent, and have equal integrity by way of avoiding Monsanto products first, but second, any Monsanto-related employment or spending. And it's really worthwhile to do that, whether it's GMOs, whether it's pharmaceuticals, um, whether it's pesticides or food additives. All of these things, you need to make up your mind that it's worth your while to avoid. 
And you can't dilly-dally and say, oh, I'm going to work on it Monday and then not Wednesday. But you need to set in place in your life policies that will result in the avoidance of genetically modified foods, the result in the avoidance of using Roundup and so on. So Monsanto is not corrupt and you shouldn't be either. So you need to be very, very dedicated, very focused about your efforts to do the right thing. And it's always best, always easiest to simply make policies in your life about the way you're going to do things that will result in uh, the outcome that you want. In this case, avoiding uh, Monsanto-related products. Next. The number one radio show for all of 2015. This is a surprise to me. The Diabetes Debacle. Yes. And this is an update on the Diabetes Debacle. This. <laughs> the travesty called diabetes is almost unspeakable uh, for a couple of reasons. First, way back when... This is the Dark Ages, 1985, yes, 1985. I was in northern Wisconsin, Lacouderay, Wisconsin, Lake of the Short Ears, yes. And I was the medical director for an Indian tribe called the, well, Lacouderay Tribe. And the government gave for free uh, to every tribal member white flour, lard, hamburger and cheese. That's it. Light flour, lard, hamburger and cheese. And the seasons there, because northern Wisconsin were very short, and the land, of course, was not very good. So vegetables were, well, hard to come by. So what happened? What happened was we developed a 50% diabetes rate on the Indian reservation. It could be pretty incredible. And kids were getting type 2 diabetes as teenagers and needing their gallbladders out, all this stuff. And so uh, it occurred to me it might be the diet. So I talked to the Indians and said, hey, you know what, I think this food that you're getting for free might be contributing to your diabetes. And so they said to me, Dr. Daniels, we've signed a treaty with the U.S. government. They are obligated to give us this food and done it. We're going to eat it because we're entitled to it. I said, oh, hmm. So I said to myself, well, that's really unfortunate, but you know what? The regular Americans, the ones who went to grade school and junior high and high school, or maybe even college, they would never fall for this. They wouldn't eat white flour and lard and hamburger and cheese. No, they wouldn't do that. Then I emerged from the wilderness in 1988. So I leave the wilderness and return to civilization, that be Syracuse, New York, only to find everybody's eating cheeseburgers. It's all the craze. Of course, what's a cheeseburger? It's hamburger, cheese, lard, and white flour. Like, oh my God, they're falling for it. Holy cow. And so now we have diabetes. Of course, mediated, facilitated uh, by uh, various uh, government policies. So first you create the problem called diabetes. Now, supposedly 20% of adult Americans aged 20 to 80 are diabetic, and 37% are, are almost diabetic. I'm putting that in English for you. So 57% of Americans are diabetic or pre-diabetic. And so, hence, I guess, the popularity of this uh, show, The Diabetes Debacle. And, of course, what's the debacle? The scandalous fact that if a diabetic receives medical therapy for his diabetic, when I say medical therapy, I mean drugs like a pill or insulin, and his diabetic hemoglobin A1C is 8 or less, then his chances of death increase by 30%. So the scandal is that diabetics who accept medical intervention for their diabetes and whose hemoglobin A1C is 8 or less are increasing their chances of death by 
awesome. Very interesting. Really interesting. So, in other words, if your hemoglobin A1C is 8, you may want to do something about it, but that something uh, should not involve insulin or pills. That is, if longevity is what you're after. So if you're treating your diabetes because you like to live longer, then the only thing that makes sense is to uh, treat it with non-drug, non-pharmaceutical methods when the hemoglobin A1C is 8 or less. If it's more than 8, there's a slight advantage to treating it. Um, not an extreme advantage, but there is a uh, there is an advantage to treating it. And again, still, it can be treated with non-pharmacological means. Uh, and that's why I'm sitting right here in Panama, you see. Uh, I had a patient who had a blood sugar of uh, 475 about. And in one week, with diet and exercise alone, no drugs, uh, I got the blood sugar down to 135. And the uh, medical board felt that that was an example of the inappropriate practice of medicine. Of course, I did not yet understand how truly deadly the system was and that it was my job to give this person a deadly dose of drugs. So uh, that's the diabetes debacle. So the diabetes debacle is that much of the treatment for diabetes is, is dangerous. So yes, I've been told by the chat room, there's three minutes to go. So let me take a question. Let me go check, see if anybody has a question on the telephone line. All right, let's see here. And what do Hi, this is Dr. Daniels. You're on the air. Do you have a question? Okay. Let's go check out the chat room. Okay. Let's see the chat room. Okay, chat room says, thank you for one year's worth of information in one hour. You are welcome. And the question is, what is the recipe? What is the recipe for sauerkraut? And the answer is, you mix together two tablespoons of salt three quarts of water, I like to toss in a tablespoon of caraway seed, stir that up, room temperature or a little warmer, and then you shred a bunch of cabbage in a one-gallon jar, push it down, pour this mixture over the top until the water gets to the top of the cabbage, put a leaf over it and a rock to hold it down. You can put it in a paper bag or under the sink and let it rot for a week. And at the end of the week, you pour off the liquid and you've got sauerkraut. So that is the sauerkraut recipe. Okay. Developing a rash from applying turpentine topically. Okay. And if you have a rash from, from applying turpentine topically, definitely stop taking the turpentine topically. Go to vitalitycapsules.com forward slash candida, C-A-N-D-I-D-A, Download the free report, which tells you how to use the uh, turpentine. Then what you need to do is you need to do more cleansing. So you have to have more bowel movements, increase your water, increase your vegetables. Then you can try again. But that's what you should do. Okay, that is it for 2015. We'll see you back in 2016. As always, think happens.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.